0: Hi there and welcome back to the
1: ESPN
0: Footy Podcast.
1: Round one is in the books and what a round of footy it was. There were upsets, there were comebacks, there was controversy and as always, there's a lot to digest. I'm Matt Walsh, your host for the day and I'm joined by Jake Michaels. Jake, uh, big weekend
2: of footy action in the AFL. You could say that, you definitely could. Um, We saw a lot happen and yeah, I think there's going to be plenty to talk about.
1: Absolutely. Champion Data's Christian Jolly. We've got a few bits and pieces to uh, ponder with you today. How was your first weekend of AFL action?
3: Yeah, as, uh, as you guys are saying, it's it's all back. MRO's back. Um, controversial free kick decisions are back. Um, <laughs> footy's back. Everything's back. So it's, uh, yeah, definitely feels like footy season.
1: Would we have it any other way? That's the question I want to know. And uh, Rowan Connolly making his season debut. Rowan, I promise not to uh, pull a Clarko on you and have you sit on the pine throughout your debut. Uh, how was your week of watching the AFL?
0: I'm pleased to hear that, Matt. I'm champing at the bit to get on the ground. No, look, it was great to have it back. Great to be back at a game, in my case, for the first time since the 2019 Grand Final. So, yeah, no, look, it's terrific to have it back. It's been a long wait.
1: Absolutely. It's been a – especially for us here in Melbourne, based in Melbourne, I don't think I had been to – an afl game since uh, one of the finals in 2019 i've been to the went to the cricket went to boxing day which was nice but um, there's something different about uh, an mcg full of footy fans that's i don't know it's ethereal and it's it's lovely hey before we get into the nitty gritty today guys uh, bringing back this this segment is something we noticed from the weekend of footy that we might not get the chance to talk too much about jake i might ask you for yours first if you've got one for me
2: oh look it was something that you probably all saw um and it was in the the Sydney the Sydney Brisbane game where Tom Papley just threw himself into the crowd, <laughs> and there were a couple of things I thought was strange about this. One, the whole COVID situation where they, you know, and this was such the talk for all of last year where they wanted to separate the the players from the crowd. But also, he didn't need to do it. Like I get that on occasion you you. Your momentum takes you over the fence. He literally jumped and launched himself over the barrier Two to, to jump into the crowd. And half the half of the spectators around him were like, "What are you doing?" They didn't look too happy about it. He's a showman, Jake. He's a showman. Well, save it for the field, son. Get get off the get out of the stands.
1: He um he must be lucky that it didn't seem like anyone spilled a beer. So people might have been a bit more irate if uh, if, if that had happened. Christian, something from the weekend you noticed we won't get a chance to cover in depth.
3: Um, yeah, mine's probably a bit to do with the weather and ground conditions, which is a bit unusual for me. But, the um, yeah, I was scheduled to work Giants St Kilda on Sunday. And, yeah, all the talk of all the rain that was going on in Sydney, my mind's just immediately, you know, waking up Sunday morning, just thought I was going to call a game in puddles here. I remember an old, um, um, what was it called, football park in Adelaide. What was that? Ended up being called, Amy Stadium. Amy Stadium. Yeah. Um, a Port Adelaide Richmond game where it was just They played in a lake basically But um, yeah the game was just The surface came up really really well It was obviously a wet game of footy but not a puddle to be seen And just um, yeah, haven't heard enough praise for, Really for ground staff or whoever up there For you know the, everything else That had been going on in Sydney um, The the surface came up looking yeah Pretty perfect
1: Yeah considering half of Sydney was underwater The drainage at, uh, at that ground must have been pretty damn good uh, Rocco something from the weekend you noticed
0: uh what sorry Matt, I can't hear you. I'm still recovering my uh sense of uh hearing from the Essen and Hawthorne game. I sat in the outer and it, it it just struck me. I know I'm getting old and cranky, but uh you know, a lot of people complain about the extraneous noise that goes on during a day at footy pre-game, during the breaks, uh halftime. Now you get it after every Damn goal. It's just insane, I think. One of the great things about the atmosphere at the footy is the crescendo of supporter noise following a side's goal. Now you don't even get to hear that because it's drowned out under a wave of Katy Perry or some stupid 21st century dance mix thing. And uh, I was trying to have a conversation with my sister. You know, we don't get to catch up that much. And I'm having to scream in her ear for three hours, and my side lost after being forty points up. So, uh, in all, it uh, wasn't a great uh, experience. The um the
1: the shame of it all is is given that. If AFL wants to increase scoring and increase goals. You're only going to hear more of this.
0: Yeah, well, it might bring me up to date with some more contemporary music because I am a bit <laughs> stuck in the '90s music speaking.
1: It might be. Hey, uh, I have got a few. How much time have you got, Toby Green wearing personalised undies with his number four GWS on it. I thought that was quite funny when he got pants. Uh, Rowan, one for you. I was at the footy on Thursday night, and my lovely partner Rowdy's on crutches at the moment, so we. We're on level four and we were going to get the uh the elevator down to the ground level so we could get out of the ground and the elevator was relatively full uh, at level four and stopped at level two and who would get in but about six or seven journos who can't walk the two levels down to go <laughs> to the post-match rooms What's going on? Are are there too many party pies up in the media rooms at round one at uh, Richmond Carlton? The uh, Junos didn't want to take the hike, take it down the stairs?
0: We're old school, Matt. It's uh, (laughs) Never walk when it's possible to get a lift or an escalator. Just on the food too. I actually availed myself of a lovely uh, Japanese salad in the MCG media area. It's very 21st century, the food up there. Forget the party (laughs) pies.
1: Very good. Uh, And another one, quick one from me. Uh, I really do like how the government and the AFL, at least in Melbourne, has sort of organised the crowd caps and the social distancing and all that sort of stuff. But the thing that really irked me was Metro Trains didn't come up with any uh, any way for, for fans to safely get on stations and get on trains because every train I saw was packed like sardines and, and the platforms were chockers. So not too sure what's going on there. Uh, anyway, let's get into it. Uh, heaps to talk about. It was a big round one of footy action. Uh, just being back at the footy Roko, you kind of touched on it, but uh, nice feeling.
0: Oh, it was. It was fantastic. I mean, um, and, and funnily enough, you know, for all the annoyances too, like uh, I I probably left my run too late to drive to Carlton, Richmond. And um, by the time I got there, the car park was shut and I had to remarkably talk my way under the ground to the uh, the um, usually uh, sort of gold-plated parking underneath the ground. But w- once I got in there and sat down and started watching it, I thought, you know what? It's great to be able to be annoyed by those things. And, and just having the crowd, I mean, you can just see how happy people were to be back, you know, and and just interacting and having that cultural experience of a day at the footy. So, you know, it's, it it is a Melbourne thing, isn't it? Most of the other States now have sort of had their crowds. They had a taste of it last season. We've had none of it. You know, we've been, we've been living in solitary confinement. So just to get out there and, and among, among the people of Melbourne, the footy fans, it was a terrific experience. Mm,
1: The walk from the the train station down to the gates was uh, it was just a nice experience to have people discussing matchups and who's in and out and the medical sub and all this sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, I know, nature's healing, I think, is is probably the term I'd use. Uh, but in terms, that's that's off the field, but on the field, I mean, the standard of play. Jake, you watched all the all the footy games over the weekend from from your couch. Um, what did you make of? Firstly, I guess footy in general, uh, and then the scoring, and then the way that the new rules. I mean, where do you want to start?
2: Gee, that's I don't know where to start, but I thought the standard was good. I think um, I think the last couple of years it's been pretty good. It's it's we generally hit the ground running. I I think they've kind of found that sweet spot with preseason. I don't think they need to have. I don't think we need a long preseason. We don't need four or five games. The standard was good enough for it to be round one and to have to actually start where it counts. Um, games were good, as as Rowan said, the the Essendon hawthorne game. You know, an incredible comeback from the Hawks. We saw some really good play. We saw some great performances by some uh, top players in the league. I think it's clear that the game has opened up, um, whether we like that or not. Um, I know we've spoken in the past that low-scoring games aren't necessarily a bad thing. But having said that, um, opening up the play is what the AFL wants to do and it's what the majority of fans probably want to see. Um, and I think we can all agree that that's certainly what we saw uh, in round one based off the new rules that have been introduced for 2021.
1: I think the thing I was most worried about was uh, it opening it, the game opening up so much that scores were going to be so high in the sort of 120s to to 130s yeah. again. We and didn't did see that lose, at all, though. You'd lose think, that aspect of defense. But even though it was easier to sort of transition from the back half into the forward half, scores weren't outrageously high and there was still elements of of excellent defense. You saw some key defenders have some really, really good days. Jake Lever, Stephen May, um, uh, Wiedering was pretty good. Bolter had a really good game. There were still elements of defense that were quite strong. So maybe the balance is there, but, you know, are we overreacting to one round of footy? I think we probably are overreacting,
2: but I must admit that probably, you know, second quarter, Halftime of the Carlton-Richmond game, I was thinking the same thing. I thought, is any team going to be scoring under 100 points? It just seemed so open. Yeah. But even, you know, even as the round progressed, I think it, we started to get a little, we probably, you need a bit more of a sample size, like anything. And I'm, I'm sure Christian can talk about that more than anyone, but yeah, I think it's I think it's a little bit too early. Rowan wrote a piece about this a few weeks ago that we need a few we need a few rounds to wait and see what happens. Um, and I think again, coaches are going to want to shut the game down a little bit more. We're not they're not going to want to see it so open where it's just got ball pinging around from one side to the other.
0: Right. Can I just can I yeah. just chip in with a crusty old man perspective, which is <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think there's a happy medium to be had there. But it's funny that you're saying oh, a score is going to be too high with 130 to 120. I mean I, I you know I, I've been through eras where you know 1972 grand final we had 27 goals against 22 or something you know I mean it's it's uh, terrible it's, <laughs> it's, uh, well it's great to watch I think but you know it's a it's it just gives you an idea how much our expectations have fallen in terms of scoring but again it's not about scoring as much as it's about ball movement is it and and Melbourne Frio. Yeah, and Melbourne, I mean, Christian would be interesting on this one. Melbourne Fremantle is a good example. I thought as a a skilled game of football, it was terrible. I mean, they couldn't hit the side of a barn. However, the fact that the game was more open and there were more risks being taken and more transitions of the footy made it more interesting than it would have been if it were played in, say, last year's environment, I thought. Christian,
1: I mean, how long does champion data sort of give itself to... to like locate new trends and identify new trends, like one week's probably not enough. Like what stage does, do your officers sort of start saying, ah, this is what's going to happen in footy this year?
3: Yeah. So I mean, yeah, one week's not enough. And again, round one's always a good indicator, but it's always, and you sort of touched on it before, Jake, round one numbers are always higher than the rest of the season's numbers. When you're looking at, you know, things like ball movement and scoring And that round one seems to be, you know, one of the highest scoring rounds or sort of up there, but you usually use, three, four, five weeks of form, guys. So four weeks is usually our standard one. Um, yeah, usually three to five weeks is usually a good sample size of, you know, this is where things are heading or this is, you know, a good enough sample size to say this is the trend. But again, just looking at the first, um, well, the one week of Amy Community Series and the first round of 2021, definitely ball movement is up from back 50 to forward 50. So up by about, you know, six, 7% from last year. But again, as Rowan said, it's, it's nowhere near the mid-2000 numbers, let alone what it was before that. It's back to where it was about 2008, 2009. The interesting number for me is stoppages. So again, we just talked about the ball, the, the game being more open. So yeah, whether it goes you know from end to end, that's one example of it being open, but just not having stoppages and continual ball-ups and throw-ins around the ground. So taking out centre bounces, there was uh, only 49 around-the-ground stoppages per game um, this round. And there was 64 last year. That's, that's the normalised number last year. So it was, you know, at 25%. It was, you know, always hovering around 61, 62. It was right up to 71 in 2015. And the AFL came in and brought in a new holding the ball rule, tightened up on that, basically couldn't jump on the ball and not make an attempt to get it out. So that's been low for, you know, across the Amy Community Series and round one of 2021. The disheartening number for me, it was so high last year across the season. Last year's round one number was slightly lower than this year's round one
0: number. So <laughs> last
3: year, round one, we were probably all sitting there going, the game's open. It was 46 around the ground stoppages per game across the mm. time matches. 49 this uh, this year, which again is a very, very low number compared to the last 12 years of football. Uh, but we did see a hint of it last year, um, 666. I know might have contributed a bit to that, the, the Kick in rule, um, as, and they've gone another five meters again this year. There's big changes in the numbers to that as well, how easy it is to get into your forward half. And the kick in's gone up by about 10% from last year. Uh, but yeah, the stoppages one is yeah, you know, my memory's not great enough to remember back to round one and all the commentary after it. But I'm sure we're all happy with the game after round one last year. And people were, you know, unhappy with it by the end of the season. So you just hope that, yeah, the trend can continue up, It's too early to make a definitive call that is mm. fixed or better or worse. So
1: We'll have to come back to you in three or four weeks and we'll start to get a, a better understanding. Uh speaking of of the new rules, uh Jake, anything stand out from you? I thought the, the stand rule was fine, caught a few players out, but for the most part, it did allow for a greater degree of kicks going inboard or outboard and and players sort of playing on from the mark. Did you sort of notice anything that was you know? Yeah, I didn't mind happened?
2: it. The only thing I'd probably didn't love was the constant call of stand, stand, stand from the umpire, which reminded me of hold, hold in the NRL and that sort of stuff, which I don't really want to be hearing throughout the throughout a game. Um, but yeah, I think it kind of worked as we sort of thought it might, and again, we're going to have to wait and see a little bit longer. I think the big one for me, the, the new rule that I was sort of keen to to track over the weekend was um, the medical sub and how that was going to be used, and we've all sort of had an inkling that clubs would sort of try and manipulate it a little bit. And I think it's fair to say we did see a little bit of that pro- probably. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see how we continue with that going forward and whether further changes are made. Um, because I, I think it's clear that whether we need just a standard sub um, and we, use, we have one sub that's used as we had a, a few years back. Um, but I think as it currently is, there's room for
0: clubs to get around this and manipulate the rule a little bit. Just on that, I, I, I'm, I'm really annoyed about this, not because they've done it. I'm annoyed that they've done it and then allowed themselves to be put in a position where it can be manipulated. Yeah, and well, all, there's no need. Well, all I had to do to prevent that was to say that if you were subbed off, it's mandatory that you miss 12 days of football. Yep, and, and if you recover quicker than that, tough. That's the price you pay for making that call. But to give them that wriggle room of saying, you know, reasonably believed you'd missed 12 days, it just creates a problem that they didn't need to create. I just, Mm. they shoot themselves in the foot continuously. It just defies logic. It should be a
2: sub that can be used for anything at any time and everyone has it or it's just for a, as you say, you must have 12 days or however long they want to make it off. You can't. You, you can't be in the middle with this. Yep. Um, and and again, as you say, they're they're tiptoeing around it in the middle, and it's it, it is going to be manipulated. That's what is going to happen, just like any rule.
0: And the worst part, the worst part about it for mine is, apart from the manipulation, it's the extent to which it's going to be speculated about, which is, you know, brings in on the
3: player. Like you see, first player, of Boston, you know, comes out and you can see, you know. Yeah, just saying, but me? I mean,
0: you yeah. know, how are, aren't we all going to be really bored with that sort of discussion by round seventeen? I know I am. I'd rather yeah. be talking about the game rather than, you know, is this rigid or not, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that the 12 day rule blanket rule would have been one that would have dissuaded a few coaches from making some calls, uh, but Hey, look, the AFL, we, we know that they're not averse to changing things uh, early in the season or mid season. So we might see that uh, retroactively uh, applied. Um, Speaking of missing weeks, uh, two big players, big names are going to miss you. Well, you we, we think one of them is going to miss a few weeks and then another's out for for maybe up to 10. Uh, Matty Rao, uh, PCL injury. Uh, it's not likely that he's going to need surgery, but it's just such a shame that we are not going to see him in action for a while. Uh, and Patrick Dangerfield, obviously, for his big bump. Um, look, a lot's been said about it already. And I know that the tribunal is meeting tonight, so we can't speculate too much. But Rowan, he's, he's probably in trouble.
0: Oh, I think he's definitely gone, isn't he? I mean, I I heard some interesting discussion about the various ways that the interpretation of this rule has changed. And I think the AFL, uh, I think up to three times, have changed the onus on the player choosing to bump and whether they're responsible for any incidental contact that happened. Look, I'm a bit old school on this, which is that, you know, I, I think if you're going to have a contact sport, and you are going to allow a bump, that the duty of care thing, you know, in, in, in play, two players coming at each other with a fair bit of velocity, mm. there's always going to be some sort of incidental contact. Should a player be responsible for the consequences of that? Well, I guess in the modern age and with the dangers of the concussion thing there's a fair argument you should. But I, again, I sort of feel like this one, it's you're either in or you're out. You know, if you are going to allow bumping at all, I I personally think you have to be um, prepared to, uh, you know, allow some sort of incidental contact. But I I understand why he will be suspended. I think two weeks would be appropriate.
1: Yeah, I think if you choose to bump... And, and, and Kelly's hands were not – he couldn't protect himself. He was in the, the motion of hand-passing and his hands were out in front of him. So he has no way to protect himself. I think if you choose to bump in that situation, you're in strife. If Dangerfield had, had laid a late tackle, the worst that's going to happen is it's going to be a downfield free kick, which is, you know, five metres down the field. So I think um, – and uh, Jake, maybe, maybe this is more of a contemporary thought, um, but I think bumping is great. Choose to bump, but, it, you know, if you get it wrong, you're in big strife.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I kind of think it's like Shane Warne's always talking about how he doesn't like that a ball in cricket can be adjudged or can be judged to be uh, out and not out on the DRS based on the umpire's call. And I feel it's similar with this, where the bump, the same bump, depending on if he, if he, if if Kelly is slightly higher and he bumps him in the shoulder, we're not talking about this. So it's, so it's, it's. I get it. I'm kind of with Rowan. I, I understand why he has to be suspended. But again, I fully agree. If we're going to allow if we're going to allow these bumps to occur, and we're always saying, "Oh, bumping's a part of the sport which we don't want to get rid of." And we've got to understand that there are going to be times where this happens because I think we'd all agree there was no there was no malice in it. it was, it was clear he wasn't trying to take him out.
3: Well, the one the one for me, and I said it after the Zach Williams one is, and they need to put this in writing, you need to protect the ball carrier. He's just, it's it's not a bump where they were both going for the ball or Kelly had just picked up the ball and fired off a real quick handball and Dangerfield bump. Kelly ran for 10, 15 metres to the spot where he was, handballed the ball, Dangerfield chose to do it, whether he tackled him or it bumped him, it was going to be an illegal act late because it was going to be, and it was paid downfield after disposal you've got to protect that and that's that's probably the one where again we're discussing this if they had a written rule of you get an extra week if it's just you know it's after the it's, it's in the act of the guy still disposing the ball just afterwards and it was late the umpire judged it straight away it was a free kick it was a late hit um so yeah the, the injury coming into account that's that's I'm sort of okay with that as well. I get why, you know, there's uproar because there's so many ifs and buts. But I think the standard one is it's at least a week and whatever on top for the fact that it was after disposal and it was late and mm. yeah, you got him. If, in if
1: there. you bump him shoulder to shoulder, it's not a problem, but he just didn't judge it well. Or uh look, I'm not an elite footy player, so maybe I'm I'm taking a few liberties in saying but that it's easy bu- to not, but
2: But even if he bumps him in the head and he doesn't get concussed, we're probably not talking about this. So, that,
0: bumps- so that so that Jake, for me, is there's a bigger question here and it comes down to that eternal debate between intent versus consequences. Yeah. And clearly they've put a lot more stock in consequences. And again, I understand that. But I I just think in a a sport played at this velocity and a contact sport, it's a bit... Yeah, you you can be really unlucky to make contact with a guy in the wrong spot Mm. who's seriously hurt. So you end up paying a far higher price than... What could be a more potentially damaging act, but you get lucky and the guy falls the right way or something? And-
2: Absolutely, and that goes back to what I was saying about the the cricket analogy, where you, where the same thing can be two different penalties, which doesn't make sense. You know, yeah. we sh- we should be stamping out the action, and if the AFL wants to stamp out the action, by all means do it because it's something you know we don't want to see players getting hit late. I 100 I agree, and there's an opportunity here for the AFL because we we rarely see the top players. Um, particularly with players in line for you know, a Brownlow medal, they don't want to be rubbed out so early in the season. Um, and there's been times with Dangerfield, there was one with uh, Lockie Neal, there was one. There's been a couple with Nat Fife in their Brownlow years, and which they haven't got off. But I think this is a great opportunity. Now we know he's going to get at least one week. There's a big opportunity for the AFL to come out and say, right, we're going to give you three or four weeks here, and and, and set down a big market for for this type of action.
1: Hmm. Yeah, plenty to ponder, and we could debate this uh, all episode. But we do have to keep moving on. Uh, in a word, Jake, can Matt Rao still win the Rising Star if he only plays ten games this year?
2: Yes, he should have won it last year. Only played five. <laughs>
1: uh, fair enough. It'll be a shame we won't see him on the park for a while because uh, he's box office, really. Um, he, he, you sort of tune into Suns games to watch him and to have him on the sidelines again. Yeah, it's a big shame and big loss for footy, but he will be back uh, bigger and better, no doubt. Hey, Christian, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but um, you, you sort of have started noticing some themes, at least through the first couple of weeks of action with the Amy series in round one. Um, but I think I want to, I want to ask you what's, what's going to be the sexy stat this year? Because in, in previous years, I think last year, the pressure rating was the big one and Fox footy brought out that big rating thing in the bottom left-hand corner of their, of their um, broadcast. And then before that it was meters gained. Everyone's talking about meters gained and there's always this in vogue kind of stat. I want to know what's the big one going to be in 2021? And I've got an inkling I know what it is, but I want you to answer it. Uh,
3: Well, I don't know it yet. We we probably, we don't have a new, you know, a brand new metric that we're introducing this year. A lot of the new um, usage of stats, the most recent usage of stats is, again, I sort of spoke about on the pod last year. It's more the development of chains and, starting point a going to starting point b where does starting point c happen sort of thing so it's more about you know if we turn it over in the midfield and there's a stoppage in the attacking midfield at the end of that chain how do we go from there so to tie all that together a lot of it's going to come down to you know the the, the future space of probably analytics is going to um, come down to the, a lot of the gps and ball tracking of where everyone is at a given time and what's happening and what could have happened based on you know who was around and things like that but Probably yeah, the one stat that we have sort of started talking about in the office, um, and that we don't have, and that it's probably come up a few times already, is the probably what, what's going to be called the forty-five kick, or the you know the infield like, yes. kick, or um, whatever you want to call it. So yeah, in the last probably across the last six or seven years, we've developed you know a lot of new metrics and couple of those that had brand new sort of types of kicks that clubs use so There's the switch kick and the long down the line kick. So they were the, the in vogue type of kicks that they wanted to track. How do, we, how do we, you know, go with retaining possession or scoring once we switch from certain positions on the ground or go long down the line? Or how do we defend when a team goes long down the line against us? Uh, so we've, we've got um, definitions of those kicks based on where things are plotted so X and Y coordinates of the ground. So they're not explicitly called by any of our callers. We've just plotted where everything is happening on the ground um, using graphical capture. And basically, you know, there's all formulas in the background that work out all right. what is a long down the line kick when it goes from X to Y um, and such. So, yeah, 45 is something we haven't defined yet, but it's something we, we spoke about last week. It'll, it'll definitely go via the clubs first. So you've got 18 clubs that we're trying to service um, first with a definition. We're not going to come up with 18 ways to define a 45 yeah. kick. So we're going to come up with, you know, hopefully one way of defining it, Um, So, yeah, the plan is to sit down early in the season with the clubs, um, get a definition of what a 45 kick is, put that into the system. And the beautiful thing with it is because everything's plotted, we don't need to explicitly call it. We'll be able to pull out the numbers from the last five years and tell you how many 45 kicks have have happened or are happening. So you'll be able to
1: see... You'll be able to look back at, say, 2018, 2017 and say there were, you know, 30, 45 kicks per game. Well, yeah, if
3: the definition is similar to how we worked out with switches and long down the line, that's just looking at any kick from this position that's going to this position that does this um, is going to be classified as a 45. That'll just, yeah, that'll be able to work out that we've got all the X and Y coordinates from, you know, going back to least 2010 2015 for most of that so yeah you'd be able to sort of apply that formula and work it out so we don't have the answer to whether there's more 45s or how teams are going on the 45 this year but hopefully we have the answer what's, um what's the timeline
1: on something like this like how long does it take to canvas the clubs and ask them and come up with a definition and then by the time you start actually recording these like what do you think that the timeline is could we see it this year
3: it, it, yeah it definitely could um but it all changes and again covid company situation the way it was a lot of our um, work in the off season was how we deliver stats just because of the personnel changes within clubs Uh, we're really moving towards data scientists DIY sort of stuff pre-2020 the club's losing so many people they need they don't have the DIY capabilities now to go away and build their own reports so we're sort of shifting back to how we can service the clubs better that way so there was a lot of work put into that and how we're going to deliver things Um, building new metrics though is always just an ongoing thing some of them you can put in within a week, depending what they are. Someone can have the idea and we can get it. Um, some may take a bit longer. And as I said, with the 45, because we will be canvassing pubs and it's round one, it's in season. Um, yeah, we sort of, as I said, we just sort of started speaking about it in the last two weeks. So we really knew that it was going to be a trend of the game. So we don't have a timeline on it yet. But yeah, it is something that can definitely happen within a season, within a week or within a day, depending on, on the metric. Jake, any stats
1: that you want champion data to start recording? Can we put in requests with you, Christian? <laughs> well, We'll see if we've already thought about them. <laughs> Jake, anything from you?
3: Uh, oh, gee. You you're, you're,
1: you're a stats man. Uh, you like I'm, to look
3: at the I'm surprised one of you haven't asked for torpedoes or chest marks, which we've had a few. Uh, we've probably had them since 99, since the first season champion were around. Um, do we record torpedoes and chest marks, which so, is something we don't? It probably makes sense we do, but yeah.
0: I reckon there's more torps now than there were a few <laughs> years ago. And we'll probably see more of them, won't right? we, with the man at the kick-in drag back another five metres and guys yeah. going down the guts. That's got to be good for football. But I feel, I was thinking about this during the week or over the weekend. Do players practice
2: it anymore? I feel like the average player could probably kick a drop punt further than a torp purely because they just do, it's not a kick that is practice. And you're more likely to just miss hit it mm. than you are hitting a long drop punt. Oh, there are I a couple on the, the weekend.
0: Yeah, no, they, oh, they tend to do it for fun, don't they? And in game situations, in either the kick-in or moments of desperation, it, but it's simply that margin for error. If you hit a torp properly and a drop punt properly, the torp's always going to go longer. It's going to go longer, but you're more likely to stuff it up. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. If you can no, kick the so drop then, punt
1: ten out of ten at, at yeah. fifty-five meters, and you can kick the torp seventy-five meters, but two out of ten, your chances. I mean, you know, speaking of data and, and coaches wanting to sort of like you know. Streamline everything and get everything as efficient as possible. You're taking the drop bun every day.
2: Well, it's my tennis theory. You should always be hitting first serves, even on your second serve.
0: I tell you the um just on on different kicks, the dribble kick. You know, we know how many more of them we're seeing now compared to even sort of ten years ago. But hasn't that been honed to a fine art now? The number of, and in fact, I can't. It's not coming to me. But there was one on the weekend that was just from a impossible angle and the guy just did it with ease, you know. It's sort of – uh they clearly practice that quite a lot now, I think. Mm. Do,
1: do you yeah. record those, Christian? I mean, dribble kicks or, or scores from non-traditional no, got, kicks?
3: We, no, the, the most that we got is the just whether it was general play or a snap. So we know which one's around the body and which ones weren't. But we – yeah. Sort of again, don't get it in. How many bounces something takes to get the goal? Or get it
0: in.
2: <laughs> but Rowan, as the senior member of our podcast crew, what are your thoughts on that? Because the the older generation tends to not be a huge fan of the those underground kicks, where you know we, we as you said, players practice it more than anything. So wouldn't you feel more comfortable with a player doing what they practice?
0: Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm okay with them. The only time they annoy me is, um, you know, when, when they're doing it, when you could clearly... I mean, there's less margin for error, I would have thought, kicking the ball in the air. When you're 15 metres out and you could kick it in the air and you dribble it, you, you're sort of taking a chance that you don't need to. There, are, I must admit, the old fart in me comes out now with the kicking around the corner from directly in front. Like, that. that one... <laughs> Just defies me, you know. Like I mean, they're, they're, surely there's a greater margin for error, um, kicking around the corner and hitting, you know, missing the belly of the ball and hitting the edge of the ball and lining the up. The belly of way. the
2: ball's, be- you, you, the belly of the ball is bigger to hit than if you're hitting the centre of the ball from a drop punt.
0: Yeah, but if you're 20 meters in front I wouldn't have thought so. I mean, well, I, if you're I, a
2: professional player, you should be able to yeah, yeah. if you're a professional you player you should be able to kick it 20 meters out directly. You in front know, you regardless. know what?
0: It it makes me think we don't give enough credit to the man I think, anyway, popularly acclaimed as having popularized the drop punt. And my understanding has always been that that's Jack Dyer. But that is such a great kick. You know, I mean, there's a reasonable margin for error. It's easy to execute. Yeah. It's well, how were people
2: kicking it prior to that? Everyone was balling
0: over No, no. A lot of people kick flat punts. That's what Peter Hudson always kicked for goal <laughs> at, and he was incredibly accurate. But the flat punt is the ugliest-looking kick you, you've ever seen. I See, I think you've got to give points for aesthetics too, and <laughs> the torpedo measures very high on the aesthetic score. How's the AFL oh, history lesson here? <laughs> what, a, what a stupid discussion this is. Let's move on. All right, let's move
1: on. Uh, winners and losers. There were some surprise winners and some surprise losers. Obviously, uh, given they're probably both in the same game. Uh, good one. Um, but uh, the round one losers we're most worried about. Uh, there must be a couple that uh, you sort of look at the result or the way that they played and you think mm, there's something interesting about that. Rowan, uh, any team jump yeah. off the
0: page? Yeah, I got one. I've It's probably a bit unfair because they were very close to winning the game. But GWS, I've been worried about them for a while. I was worried about them all last year, in fact. And I just think they've gone very quickly from a grand finalist to a pretty ordinary sort of team, more to the point. You know, they were a team which four or five seasons ago were talking about all this brilliance and talent. I look at them now and they look pretty... Average in terms of talent, you've still got Toby Green, you've still got Josh Kelly, etc. But I don't think they've got any more stars than most other sides now. I find it hard to thank you. (laughs) I I find it hard to define the way they play footy. And uh, I'll tell you the other thing watching making their mark, in which Stephen Cornelio is one of the key subjects, there's a few insights into that team there that are cause for concern. So That was a reasonable effort by them against the Saints, who are a good side. But I looked at them and I thought, I don't see where your improvement's going to come from. I think you're more dependent upon Toby Green, Josh Kelly than you were. Um, And more and more, and this, this was a real hobby horse of mine last year, I think now, in hindsight, you look back on the 2019 grand final appearance and that was the mirage and everything that surrounds it is the norm. And, and what that means is they had an exceptional three weeks of football in September 2019, which got them to a grand final. To look at what their actual uh, capacity is, you look at what's around that, both before that and after that. And the fact, the bottom line is it hasn't been that great.
2: Yeah, I think the the Giants are a Toby Green in, serious injury away from being a bottom five side. I, I Then I don't see where the goals are coming from.
0: I think yeah, well they got they've got Himmelberg, they've got. But Finlayson, it's a different role but,
2: now for Himmelberg. You know, all of a sudden he's the focal point.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I agree. I agree. I mean, the the more you know, you find the more you talk about a star player at. One club, the sort of the more worrying it is because, like, who else is jumping up? And they've got some decent young players emerging, but quickly enough. Yeah, yeah, got my yeah. doubt. So,
3: the there might be. A I mean, thing. it was a wet game as well, but it was a little bit of their scoreboard as well. So they won the contested possessions by thirty across the game. So they did their job winning the ball in wet footy. It's their highest contested possession differential in a loss, though. So again, just lacking that, probably you know, finishing touches down forward.
1: Class. Um, any any cause for concern for either Cats fans or Lions fans? Or is it just a case of, you know, what um, it happens sometimes and, and you just got to take the loss and move on?
3: Well, I, I think you do. But when you sort of said, you know, which is the team most, you know, lost concerned you the most, it was probably Brisbane and the way they lost to Sydney. Um, just the fact that the one limit that stood out to me is they conceded 51 points from back half turnovers. So, you know, Daniel Rich, you, McCluggage, blokes all that turning it over in the defensive half and Sydney scoring for that. So, Brisbane conceded the third fewest points from that last year, and Sydney were in the bottom three for scoring from that last year. So, again, one game you don't know, make big statements, but at the Gabba, at your own <laughs> home, you know, home ground, I did that game, and that's the first thing I noticed. I'm like, they can't get it out of their back half here, and even when they did, it wasn't a natural, smooth Brisbane ball movement um, up, you know, up to the you know forward half. There was sort of some luck to it when they did get it out of there. Uh, again, I'm sure they can turn around. They're a better team than what we saw Saturday night. But, yeah, that was a concerning
0: number for me. How long, Christian, since Brisbane conceded nine goals in a quarter?
3: Well, I hadn't looked at that. But, yeah, again, I, I did look at a lot of their numbers and it only goes back to three or four years that they were bottom two. So, it's, it's you know, their numbers, that I hadn't looked at the nine goal quarter thing. But in terms of the points from turnovers, it was something they were doing, you know, quite consistently. in some of their well, not consistently, but a few games in 18 and 2017 when they were still sort of had the good games and bad games that were doing this. But yeah, exactly that. There was just, as I said, I did the game and you thought, well, Sydney are doing well to hold on here, hold on here. When are Brisbane going to put the foot down? And Sydney put the foot down and ran away first. It was amazing.
2: Yeah, Um, Brisbane and both Brisbane and Geelong, to me, they looked like they expected to roll up and get the four points. And I think everyone, every fan probably expected that too. And as you say, no one stood up for the lines. I think the Cats sort of got going. In the end, it was too late. But no one stood up for the lines. No one in their midfield. No one really in the forward line could get going. Charlie Cameron looked like he was really out of sorts. Lockie Neal, the Brownlow medalist, struggled to get, get involved in the game. Um, there just wasn't much of a spark, which was which was bizarre to see after their disappointing exit last year. You know, everyone, a lot of people have picked Brisbane to go all the way this year. So, yeah, it was... Not the ideal start for the
0: Lions.
1: Well, on the flip side, the winners we're most surprised by. Uh, Ryan, I take it you're not too surprised by Sydney's result, given you had them as a smoky to make the eight.
0: Yeah, well, I put them in my eight. I, I put them eighth. Uh, and it was a bit of a hunch, but I'm always a big believer in how a side finishes off the previous season. And Sydney's end to last season really impressed me. I, what, a couple of games in particular, particularly their win over Melbourne, up in uh, Cairns, I yes. think it was. They they just, and I like the way they've rebuilt their lineup. Um, I've got a bit of a theory about how the Swans have some advantages in the fact that they're not in a traditional football state. That anything they do, they are able to do without too much support or media pressure. So Jong Long Mai stuck with the traditional blend for quite a while, but you know, at some point he's gone, we've got to change the mix up here. And I like the fact that all these young additions to the side, nearly all of them are quick. They're exciting. You know, this is as far away from the traditional Swans brand as we've seen for some time. Well, that's a bit unfair because they still are pretty hard at it, but they've got more strings to their bow now. And, um, you know, just, Say that, um, what's his name? Uh, gold, uh, I forgot, yeah, golden, Errol. <laughs> oh, Errol, that Australian cross song. I mean, he' exciting, you know, Wicks is exciting. Yep. The most exciting of them, I think, hasn't even played yet, Justin McInerney. Like, yep. he's he's going to be a gun. Um, so, I, I just had that feeling that they, they were going to find something. There was a bit of a buzz building around you know?
1: my question on, on the swans, and they're very, very valid points you make. My question is, how. Consistently, are we going to see that output from Errol Golden, from Logan McDonald, Braden Campbell? They all had such stellar debuts, and that's you know three of your eighteen on the field. If they're on the field at any one time, uh, they're not going to they're not look they're not going to play that level consistently for the first year. Uh, at least it would be unlikely that you know one of them does it. Let alone all three. So I, I still think the Swans are in a building year, but um, the signs, as you say, were quite positive, especially on Saturday night.
0: They've got very, um, they've got very consistent and durable team leaders, though, haven't they? So yeah. you'd expect that, even if the young guys are up and down a bit, you know, those leaders are very reliable in keeping a certain minimum standard. Uh, you know, and again, it's a bit of a cliche, but that comes back to the culture they've built around that club. Uh, you know, they're such a strong, stable club. I don't, I think they're far less likely to have the levels of ups and downs that other sides in a similar position might mm. i think um i think sydney have just about the most underrated player in the comp
2: um in isaac heaney in his ability to underrated? play. underrated and yeah i think he's massively underrated he he's a top 15 player in the league just about i mean he's he can play anywhere he can play in defense he can play 40 and play in the midfield he kicks goals he he does it all and he's just missed chunks of football at crucial times He's still young. He's a tremendous footballer. Um, and I don't think people appreciate how good he is because he probably has just when he's got going, he's had to, he's, he's had injuries and he's gone in and out of the side. But I mean, the luxury of having someone like Callum Mills now into the midfield is that he can play more as a forward. And he, he kicks goals like he's he's Toby Green like he kicks goals. He's got a great knack around goals, and he can go into the midfield and dominate a game. If well.
1: you're this is a question without notice. If you're building a team from scratch and you have the choice of taking Heaney now at his age or Green at his age, who are you taking?
2: Toby Green. Yes, um, I'm still probably taking Toby Green because I think Toby Green is a top seven player. I think he's a, an absolute freak, but I don't think Isaac Heaney is that far behind him.
0: It's funny far you far mentioned those two because I've always felt like. Uh, Isaac Heaney should be playing a surfy character who blows into the set on Home and Away. And Toby <laughs> Green should be like Billy Bunter from an old Australian 1930 sitcom or something. But that's my theory on he- Heaney being underrated, that he he sort of looks like he should be in a teen soap opera or something, you know? He's so good
2: uh, marking. Like, he's, he's a brilliant mark for his size. He almost doesn't have any weakness, Heaney. I think he's a terrific footballer. I just don't think we talk about him as much as we talk about other players. I mean, we talk about players like Papley and and Parker and, and Kennedy, Buddy. We talk about all
0: these Sydney players a lot more than we talk about Nini. No, it's a good point.
1: Fair enough. Uh, before we move on, just quickly on the Crows, we do need to give a bit of a hat tip to them. Uh, can Tex maintain this sort of output for
2: a, for a year? Because some thought no. he went a year too long, but no. uh, he looked good. No, he can't. Okay. All right. He did look good, <laughs> but I, I think we've seen this before. <laughs> and he plays a good game, but I don't think... Tex will not kick another
0: bag of five for the rest of the year. That's a big
1: call. That should have been last week. We had big calls.
0: Uh, Can I take issue quickly with that? You're very harsh on on Tex there. (laughs) I reckon he can. I I reckon the way the game has opened up will probably suit him a a bit. Oh, there you go. I'll make another call. He will kick at least one other bag of five. I like it.
1: Let's move move on. Uh, We're going to bring back uh, Justified Hype. Or hyperbole, uh, the segment from last year, where I'll say a statement to you fellas and you will let me know if I'm, uh, if the hype is justified or if I'm talking in hyperbole. Uh, Jake, I'm going to throw to you first. Paddy Dangerfield, his best footy is behind him.
0: Um,
2: yeah, I think it is um, because I think what he produced in 2016 17 was as good as we've ever really seen. Um, uh, so, from that respect, I think it is. I don't think it's going to be a drop off. He's still one of the best three or four players in the competition, um, but I am not sure that we're going to see him have a year where he's going to poll thirty six votes in the Brownlow Medal again.
1: Fair enough. Uh, I think I know what the answer to this is going to be. But Christian, if you're an unused sub, it should count as a game played. Um,
3: no, it shouldn't. <laughs> that would be hyperbole. Because yeah. It, it, It doesn't sit well with me, but again, I think Rowan sort of uh, explained it well that they might have had 19th and 20th men back in um, the early days and they counted as a game, so I sort of came up with a theory that if they made the mistake 50 years ago, I'm happy for them to make the mistake again and keep it consistent. Uh, But no, it should not count as a debut game and a 50th match on Friday night and things like that. It it doesn't sit well with me, but... um, we'll put in the official database, whatever the AFL tells us to. So
2: you got to feel for the family, right? Like, oh, I'm playing, I'm playing my first of game, come along and just – didn't watch me wear the vest for three hours. Absolutely. You know how you. And then you by the, how... the, end
3: of the season, when you're sitting down doing your contract, you're like, "Well, you're only average five disposal yes. <laughs> the stats uh, angle of it,
0: you know. So it's you, yeah. You know how you know when you're getting old? When you you bring up an example from the 1970s, and then you hear Christian say, "The early days," you know, <laughs> like <laughs> I was around for the founding of the game or something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> last, I, I was the old one on the podcast too, according to Matt. So <laughs> yeah. happy to have <laughs> bringing the average up. Hey. Rowan, Buddy, uh, he could line up this week, which is exciting news not only for City fans, but for footy fans in general, because we've been robbed of not having enough Buddy, unfortunately. But my statement to you is Buddy will kick a 1,000 goals in his career. He's got about 56 to go.
0: Yeah, I I think he will. I I don't think it's impossible he could get it this year either. But if he doesn't, I don't think there's much doubt he'd play on another year to get them. And... It's easy to forget this given, you know, he's had the continual injury problems the last couple of years, but prior to that, he was an incredibly durable player. Mm. He he strikes me as a sort of bloke, even though he's in his, how old is he now? 33,
1: 34.
0: Yeah. I I still think compared to a lot of guys that age, he's still pretty athletic and strong. And, um, you know, if he can just keep a sort of minimum level of fitness, I, I think he could do damage for a couple of years and, if he plays 2 years he gets the 1000 simple as that. What would Buddy rather right now? Get the, have the 1000 goals to his name or win another premiership? Oh, premiership. Yeah, no doubt. Flag. He's a very you know for all the sort of superstar stuff about him or whatever. He's a very team orientated diligent, hard-working player, you know. I don't so think he'd take he'd... a premiership and finish his career on 996 goals. <laughs> I reckon he would. It would be no. it would be kind of
1: sweet
3: not revenge. Tricky. To deliver on to Sydney after his tenure, I think, yeah, definitely. I think he'd finish with nine, 9.99. So I think you would take the premiership every day.
1: It'd be like Buddy being on the uh, the other end of that favola being stuck on 99 back yeah. in 2008 <laughs> or whatever. Clarko pulled those strings. Um, Jake, the free kick against Cal Ward, the incorrect disposal.
2: free kick? It wasn't a free kick, was
1: it? Well, that's what I'm going to say. I'm, I'm going to say it was there.
2: Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It was there. Certainly didn't think it was a tackle. Um, incorrect yeah. disposal? Well, it wasn't correct. He didn't handball it or kick it, but how often do we see that throughout a game and it's not it's not pay, let alone in the last couple of minutes when the game's on the line. So didn't like the call, but, you know, we move on. We <laughs>
1: move on. Uh, and last one, Rowan, calling from studios and not at the grounds, especially interstate, is here to stay. Is that hype or hyperbole?
0: Uh no, I, I think that's justified hype. That's a message I'm hearing, and I'm I'm not a fan at all. I thought Channel Seven's call of the GWS and Kilda game was flat as probably as a result of them not being there, and we got a good example during that of um of how it can penalise the viewer. At one stage, one of the calls actually said, "Well, we we don't know about that because it's out of shot," mm. and and also the other thing with this too is if they're going to do that. I think there needs to be a disclaimer that they're doing it because I'm pretty sure they didn't say we're not actually at the ground. And yet a couple mm. of times I heard BT say something like uh, talking about someone coming from St. Kevin's here in Victoria. You know, they keep sort of giving the game away, but I don't think they're being upfront with the audiences. They're happy for the the um, audience to believe that they're at the game. So I just yeah, wonder
2: I, how much the average fan really cares whether they're at the
0: game or no. in a studio.
1: Yeah, well, I care, I notice. Or notices.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I. but see, Jake, you don't You don't miss what you don't know, you know. Mm. So, like, we, we're only privy to what they are. How do we know what commentary possibilities they're missing because they can't see mm. an extra Agreed. 50 metres down the ground? No, Agreed.
1: Uh, good return for that uh, segment, Justified Hype or Hyperbole. We'll bring that <laughs> back again next week. Thanks, Jake, for reminding me that we had that one last year. Uh plenty, plenty coming on the website too this week, Jake. We've got uh, Captain's Confidential out today, which we went to Captain's Day and polled a few of the skippers uh, with their names not attached to some answers. And there's some interesting answers to some interesting questions.
2: Oh, there's some great ones there. Best sledges, best umpires in the game, um, all sorts of fun stuff there. So check that out. That's, that's always a fun one. We've got um, some draft questions coming this week. Uh, Rowan will be writing another piece coming out tomorrow. Uh, we've got Brownlow predictors, we've got all sorts of great stuff coming this week. Power rankings back low on Friday, so yeah, chock a block.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm keeping my post very secretive in fact so secretive i haven't even told myself what it is yet
2: <laughs> fantastic
0: look
1: forward to reading it uh, on wednesday at uh, espn.com.au forward slash afl hey get your footy tips in i know if you missed the first week it doesn't matter you can still catch up uh because i think a few people would have had a mare considering some of the results so the footy tips app or footytips.com.au get your tips in
2: can I just say on that I um I checked at half time and I was certain that I uh, of the essendon and Hawthorne game and I was certain I tipped Essendon. and when I saw I tipped Hawthorne I was so disappointed in myself <laughs> and um yeah it turned out to be the right choice which was
1: Always a <laughs> we won't rub that it further in uh because of uh rowan's uh, presence on yeah, the podcast thanks, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up for this week uh thanks for listening in uh we're gonna speak to you every week and rowan i'm sure you'll make a few appearances throughout the year so thanks for joining us
0: pleasure guys anytime
1: uh, and uh, we'll speak to you in the next one
0: listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the espn footy pod wherever you get your podcasts